save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. I am Drew Hubbard here, as usual, with Connor and Josh. Guys, how's it going? How's the week been? It's been good. Um, just chilling. Weather's good in Canada. Today it was like 30 degrees Celsius, so it's getting back into the summer. Kind of missed the t- entire season, but we'll skip that and go straight into the warm months and try to continue to social distance. Yeah, it's going well on my end as well. I got outside today, too, although it's much hotter, I would assume, down here in Georgia than it is up in Toronto. But, uh, yeah, got got a little sunburnt. It was worth it, though. Nice to be outside. Yeah, it was pretty hot in here in Georgia. Connor, I don't know my Celsius at all, but I'm going to take your word that's a little warmer in Toronto. But um, we have a pretty hefty episode for you guys today, um, so we're going to get right into it. Um, first thing with COVID-19 updates, we're going to start with the MLS side of things. Um, the All-Star Game, Leagues Cup, and Campeones Cup uh, have been canceled, which I think was kind of expected just because there's that international aspect, playing teams from Mexico and going to Mexico and et cetera. Um, and NWSL made headlines today. Um as of today, when we're recording this, May 25th, NWSL teams can return to small group training on May 25th today. Um, but that wasn't the main thing that came out of the NWSL today. Um, we had new details on the NWSL's return. Um, we had some documents leaked to The Athletic about the league coming back, um, playing a tournament in Salt Lake City with the Utah Royals. Guys, I don't know how much you've gotten to look at that plan for the NWSL, but what are your general thoughts about the league trying to come back? I haven't seen much about it. Uh, I think we're going to probably touch on it a bit more next week when I assume more details will come out and we have more time to actually talk about it because, as you mentioned, today is a very packed episode. Um, but if they can return to play, good. Good. Works? Sure, why not? Um, I'd have to look more at the specifics to really understand if it will be a realistic tournament and setup. My my initial thoughts, just from being able to, to read as much as I could, because like you guys said, this was kind of the first day that this news was really dropping, but to me it feels a, a little rushed, even more so than some of the MLS stuff we covered last week, and uh, with new details, we'll talk more about MLS later in this episode, but... To me, it feels kind of rushed, and I I can see why the league wants to do that, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like the smartest idea. But uh, like Connor was saying, 
and you as well, Drew. We've got a lot to talk about today, so we won't go too in-depth in it. We'll definitely talk about it a lot next week, but my initial reaction is definitely that this feels kind of rushed. Yeah, I agree with both you guys. And like you guys both said, um, this news did break today, so we're not going to get too much into it, but next week we'll for sure talk a lot more about it. But really quick, I'm with you, Josh. I think this might, this feels a little rushed. Um, if you look at the schedule, it's pretty packed, and you can just imagine the player injuries. But I understand why the league's doing it, because if they do come back, they would be one of the first leagues to come back. And the NBCL is growing vastly with momentum from the 2019 World Cup, um, an expansion in 2021. But I do agree. I think it's rushed a little bit, but we're going to get a lot into that. Um, but enough about soccer in the States. We had Bundesliga again this past weekend. Um, Josh, Schalke lost. Uh, Connor, Bayern, Munich won. And Dortmund won again. But good news for Schalke. Uh, Weston McKinney played pretty good, I thought. Um, he only got about 75 minutes in, but he did pretty well, I thought. Yeah, I wasn't able to catch the game um but from what i could see it really seemed like as as horrible as shaka was playing and has played recently uh, mckinney was kind of one of the lone bright spots in that so definitely a, a a good thing that the one american player on that team is doing well however with how poor the team is as a whole i'm worried that it might drag some of his progress down uh, but I guess time will really really tell on that. Uh, however, for the biggest Canadian in the league, uh, Alfonso Davies had another fantastic game. Connor, did you get to see any of that? That was the only game I was actually able to watch because I was busy Saturday, and Sunday I missed my alarm. So, <laughs> yeah, thankful for recording and being able to do that. But he looked great. He was quick on the wings again. Made some really nice overlapping runs. That goal was a little fluky, but he read the play well. Uh, thought he set up that cross to, I believe it was Miller, really, really well. I was very impressed with that ball. And hopefully he continues it with the game tomorrow, or as we're recording it tomorrow, uh, against Dortmund. He had a great game the last time they played and just was dynamite. So it's been in good form. Hopefully he continues it, but... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if Gio Reyno actually gets any action because I believe he played on the weekend, correct? Yeah, so Reyna, for those who don't know, uh, last week with Bundesliga's return to action, he was supposed to start, actually, for Dortmund. Unfortunately, in warm-up, he sustained an injury, uh, so he didn't even get to play. The bright side of that injury, however, is that it didn't seem very severe, and he was able to be in the... Uh, game day 18 on this this past Saturday did come on for the final 10 minutes and I'm hoping personally that he gets to play a significant role in the game tomorrow in Der Klassiker against um, Bayern Munich and we'll talk a little bit more about the game um, in a second I kind of have a a prediction for you guys that isn't so bold Uh, there were a bunch of other American players as well that played this weekend besides McKenney and Reyna uh, Drew, what else was going on with our American players this weekend in Bundesliga? Yeah, so flipping, staying in that Dortmund-Wolfsburg game on the other side, going to the Wolfsburg side, uh, John Brooks uh, had to the wonderful task of dealing with Dortmund and specifically Holland, and I thought he did pretty well. Holland has scored 13 goals in 13 games, but John Brooks helped keep him scoreless. Wolfsburg did lose, though. Uh, but besides holding that guy's 
goalless. He completed with 92% passing. Um, I think it was the most accurate passer out of everyone that played the full 90. So John Brooks, I thought, was really well. Um, really exciting to see him doing well in that center back role. Uh, Tyler Adams, he came off the bench with Red Bull Leipzig um, for about 30 minutes, but in that 30 minutes that he was there, uh, completed all of his passes, went 28 for 28 passing. And sticking with that Leipzig minds game, uh, that was, I think it was the first game we've seen with artificial crowd noise. So really quick, I, we talked a little bit about it last week. Did you guys catch that game? And if you did, what were your thoughts on the crowd noise? I didn't get to watch that game specifically, but I think there was another game where Fox or FS1, whoever, they also piped in artificial crowd noise for the television broadcast, and it didn't really make a huge impact on me. Um, I know last week I mentioned that because I don't have a strong rooting interest in any of the Bundesliga teams, I I do obviously root for Schalke just a little bit, but it's not really that major. Um, because of that, the the lack of crowd noise didn't really affect how I was watching it. That being said, I did see tons of other people talking about how having the crowd noise on kind of brought them back to a sense of normalcy. And so it really seems like this whole artificial crowd noise is, is going to be for the fans watching at home, which I think is a great thing. Um, it obviously doesn't affect the players on the field. And another really fun stat that I saw from the weekend for Bundesliga is I I believe either it was just this weekend or from both weekends so far, but only three home teams have won and most of the other ones drew or lost. So I, I think it's really, really interesting how much having live fans in the stadium or lack thereof is really affecting these games. Really feels like lots of teams are losing their home field advantage, which might play a factor as Bundesliga finishes up their season, they only have, I think, seven or eight games left for some teams. Like, that's the max amount of games left. So that's how I was feeling about it. Um, what were you guys thinking about this artificial crowd noise? I didn't actually catch any of those games, so I'll have to go back and listen to it. But I'll let Drew talk a bit more because I assume you actually heard it, as opposed to me. Uh, what was it like in your opinion? Yeah, um, I did catch the game. It was cool. And I, yeah, I thought it was really awesome. I think they did a really good job with it. And like Josh said, the noise wasn't piped into the stadium like I thought it would be. I thought it was just going to be this pretty tacky setup with just speakers blaring full blast. But it was just um, for people watching it on TV could hear it. And in addition to the noise, um, mines had like banners on their seats. So you didn't see a bunch of empty seats. You just saw like the club's crest instead of seeing a bunch of empty red seats where fans would be. So I was a really big fan of it. And like I said last week, I wanted to see a league try it out. And I was afraid it was going to be a little tacky, but they killed it. Um, I am excited to see if it happens again. Because like Josh said, if he went on Twitter after that game, it was a pretty positive response. And like we kind of hinted at Tuesday, Dortmund-Bayern Munich, probably the biggest game of the year. I'm excited to see if they'll mess with putting in crowd noise for that game considering how big it is but the Red Bull in Mines game I thought they killed it they did it better than I thought they could I think we're seeing a a really uh, really fun evolution right now already from week one to week two there have been these small subtle changes like you mentioned Drew the banners Um, I believe Borussia Mönchengladbach they 
were the club that had their supporters pay money to have cardboard cutouts of them put in the stands. So they had a supporter section. While it didn't make noise, it, it looked pretty nifty, as as good as it can look. So just from week one to week two, between the, the artificial crowd noise for the people watching at home and the banners in the stadium and these cardboard cutouts of supporters, already you can see Bundesliga is adapting to the current sporting climate, and they're really taking advantage of it. And I think they're really starting to pave the way for when other leagues come back. Um, and on top of that, I, I think it was in Bundesliga. I can't remember where it was. I should have read more about it because it looked really interesting. But uh, somewhere in the world for a soccer game, uh, they're starting to set up to where fans can they, they can react in real time to what's happening on the pitch. And that uh, reaction is, I think it was getting either piped into the stadium or piped into the TV broadcast. I can't remember the specifics, but it's fun to see how clubs are adapting to the current situation and taking advantage of technology that's readily available to people. So hopefully from this week to next week, we get to see another jump and more improvements and to the point where when other leagues come back, they've got a really good understanding of how to make the product the best possible, the best that it can be. Because at the end of the day, everything is about money, especially sports. And if the product is not good, the money will not come in. We all know how much money everyone is losing around the world, especially in in sports. So the better they can make the product for the fans, the consumers, the better I think the leagues will be, uh, they'll be better off uh, in the long term and even in the short term. So it's really fun to see all these uh, adaptations and improvements. Yeah, that first week was really a tester week for broadcasters because as everyone else says, They've never done this before, and it was sort of a feeling out of, okay, what is possible? How are we able to adapt to this? And I think you'll continue to see evolution as the weeks go by, uh, whether fan noise becomes a regular staple in these broadcasts, who knows? It might depend on the league and their preferences, but if it's worked so far in the Bundesliga, I don't see why it wouldn't work in other leagues, and why not? It's adding some atmosphere that has sort of been lost uh, in the game so far. And I think it's overall a positive move, but again, I'd still like to be able to hear what the players are saying. And if they can somehow find a middle ground where they do both of those things, I'd be a big fan of it. But until they try it, who knows what will actually happen. So, Just from you mentioning that, uh, one suggestion I can think of off the top of my head for what these TV broadcasts can do, um, for those that might end up listening to this that also watch NASCAR, which might be nobody, um, NASCAR is also a sport that has come back, and one of the things the Fox broadcast does when they're covering NASCAR races is a couple moments during the race, they'll just stop commentating on the race, and they'll just let the sounds of of the race happen for the viewers at home. So that seems like something uh, these soccer broadcasts can do where they say, okay, for the next two minutes, we're not going to say anything about the game. We're just going to let you guys listen to the players and coaches on the field. Um, Of course, like you mentioned last week, Connor, there could be some issues with some foul language. Um, Hopefully that doesn't become an issue Uh, but that being said I I think that might be a a really cool idea and hopefully that's something that these tv broadcasts are 
um, coming up with they're thinking about adding in for next week and future weeks. So that's just another little added thing. Uh, but Drew, we have one more American player and also a German-American coach that we'll get to in a second. But how about that last American player? How do you do this weekend? Yeah, Josh Sargent is rounding off our list of Americans in the Bundesliga. Um, played with Wender Bremen. Um, he got 63 minutes in. So it was nice to see him get the majority of the match in. Um, and the biggest stat when you look at his performance um, was he won team high five aerial battles, um, which is just encouraging to see. Uh, not sh- I didn't even see how Wender Bremen did. But, yeah, he rounded off the Americans in the Bundesliga. I'm just a young striker, really promising, exciting to watch him play. But, like Josh did say, um, we have a coach, his own coach, Schalke, David Wagner. Um, it's kind of, like you said, Josh, it's kind of a – bad time for Schalke right now not playing too good so for you as the Schalke resident Schalke supporter in the group and the American you're kind of like at a double doozy here like is he is he on the hot seat because for me looking in on it it kind of seems like he's he's just we're just waiting to see him get canned from Schalke but as a fan what is your perception of David Wagner as manager yeah so like I was saying earlier I don't Schalke is the team I root for most in Bundesliga. I don't really follow them a ton, but I do know a little bit about uh, David Wagner. So for those listening that don't know anything about him, he is a German-American coach. Um, His mother was married in America, and so because of that, Wagner was able to get an American passport. And he did feature for couple German youth teams back in his playing days. He was eventually recruited to the U.S. men's national team, and I believe he had eight caps in his career. So he is widely considered um, American, definitely German-American. That being said, uh, some of his coaching stops the last few years. He was an assistant coach for Jurgen Klopp back at Borussia Dortmund. He also coached some of the reserve teams there. After that, instead of following Klopp to Liverpool when Klopp took that job, uh, Wagner actually took his own job in the British Second Division in the championship of Huddersfield. I think Township is the full name, but I'm just going to call them Huddersfield. Uh, He took over Huddersfield. They were in a relegation battle. He steered them clear that first season. Uh, The next season, the following season, he helped Huddersfield actually win promotion into the Premier League, which is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. Unfortunately, um, he only lasted as coach of Huddersfield in the Premier League for one full season. Um, He did help them avoid getting relegated, which was a big success for them. However, the following season, he was fired in January, so the midway point for them. Following that, he joined Schalke. So this is his first full year in charge. And like you were saying, Drew, as an outsider, if you look at Schalke's run of form... Basically just in 2020, in which they've played, I think it's about 10 games, a little over 10 games, Schalke's only won once. And they won back on January 25th, the second game of the 2020 portion of the season after the winter break. So they've been playing horribly. Uh, There have been four draws and five losses in that time. And since Bundesliga restarted uh, two weekends ago, They've been outscored 7-0. They lost to Dortmund last week, 4-0, which we talked about. And then this weekend against Augsburg, 3-0. So I think if you're an outsider and you're just now starting to pick up on Bundesliga, you would look at Schalke and you would think, wow, 
They're terrible, and the coach should probably be fired. That being said, because they're not dealing with relegation, um, and frankly, their next few games, they're set up to be successful. They're going to be playing a couple of teams that are in the relegation battle right now. They could come out of this and finish about mid-table. Even if they don't, even if they finish in the bottom half of the table and avoid relegation, I think Wagner's actually safe. Um, there's a really great interview with him and on it's DW.com. He talks a lot about his friendship with Jurgen Klopp. They're actually really, really good friends. They're former teammates, and like I mentioned, he was on Klopp's staff at Dortmund. Um, one of the things he talked about, and I've heard Klopp talk about in many interviews, is being patient, being patient with the coaching philosophy and imposing that philosophy on the players and the club as a whole. And I think Schalke are willing to allow Wagner to let that process take hold. Another thing for those that aren't very familiar with the Bundesliga, Schalke specifically, the team is not very strong financially. They don't have the same sort of budget that Bayern has or that Dortmund has or that even Borussia Mönchengladbach or Red Bull Leipzig have. So Schalke is trying to punch above its weight, essentially. And I think because of that and because Wagner acknowledges it in the interview and I think the club acknowledges it as well, they're not one of the stronger financial teams, and so they have to be patient. I think if you look at his track record, Wagner is a fantastic coach. And because of that, I think Schalke will give him the time to take care of things. So, yes, they're really bad right now. They've been really bad the last two weeks that they've come back. The The cards are laid out in front of them to take advantage of their next few opponents, which are very weak. But either way, I think Wagner's safe at the end of the day. He's just going to need time to get his philosophy into the club and, and get his process to take hold. What Josh said. <laughs> yeah, like you mentioned, Josh, um, you talked about Shaka's next few opponents, so we're, that's going to lead us right into the next uh, couple of Bundesliga games, which start tomorrow as we're recording this on Monday. Uh, match day, next match day is tomorrow, Tuesday, and we got the big one. We got the Bayern Munich Dortmund game. Obviously, that's on everyone's radar, but we're going to start with Wolfsburg. Specifically, we're sticking with Wolfsburg, um, and they're playing Bayer Leverkusen because there is another U.S. national team player, uh, Ulysses Giannis. Uh, He's a young, I think he's 19. Um, He's with Wolfsburg, and he's traveling with Wolfsburg's first team against Bayer Leverkusen tomorrow. Uh, This kid, he's 19. He's a forward. Uh, He made his debut with uh, LA Galaxy 2, their USL side. And I don't think he's on a lot of U.S. men's national team fans' radar, just because when you think of Americans in the Bundesliga, you think of Gio Reyna, you think of Weston McKinney. So this guy, not a whole lot we know about him, but he's 19 and he's playing with Wolfsburg. So, I mean, Josh, you're the other U.S. fan, and we'll talk about Alfonso Davies in Canada in a second, Connor. But what does it mean when you have a 19-year-old playing and making this with Wolfsburg? Yeah, so I think between the three of us, I'm the most uh, deep cut when it comes to these U.S. youth national prospects. Um, There are a couple of people that I follow on Twitter, thankfully, that keep me well informed. That being said, a lot of those people that I follow are very high on Yulianas and what he can do. I believe he got a senior cap with the U.S. men's national team last year. Yeah, he scored a goal, yeah. Right, yeah, so already, I mean, Right off the bat, he was making a difference. Um, but yeah, he's just one of these kids. There's frankly a lot of U20 
players, um, U20 eligible players, I should say, that are coming through for the U.S. And um, I think Christian Pulisic just turned 20. Tyler Adams is one of those. I think Weston McKinney is also still a teenager, or he might have just turned 20. Those are obviously the heavyweights, but then there are kids like Richie Ledesma for PSV. Uh, and then Yulianez is another big one. And most of you probably already know players like Box, Paxton Pomacall, um, maybe Julian Araujo for LA Galaxy. But anyway, Yanez, this is a big deal. Uh, a lot of people have been wondering when he's finally going to get a chance with Wolfsburg. And the Wolfsburg Twitter accounts, they tweeted out that he is traveling with the team tomorrow. I think he'll at least be in the game day 18. I assume that he'll make a sub appearance. I doubt, highly doubt he'll be starting. But he's been tearing it up for their reserve team. So it's really exciting to see this teenager, like you said, Drew, uh, making an impact for a Bundesliga team. We've all seen what happened with Pulisic, what's happening right now with McKinney and Adams and Gio Reyna, who we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. So this could be the next Bundesliga teenager that makes a big difference. So fingers crossed. Hope tomorrow goes really well for him, should he see the field. Um, But the biggest game tomorrow is Der Klassiker, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund play. Could be the title decider. Right now, Bayern is four points ahead of Dortmund for lead in the table. Alfonso Davies is on fire. Connor, what are you expecting from him tomorrow against Dortmund? Well, the last game they played, or I guess the last game Bayern played against Dortmund, Davies had a phenomenal match. I think he uh, just absolutely decimated Jaden Sancho and made him really, really uh, irrelevant. And I could see him doing it again tomorrow. He's been in fantastic form, as we mentioned earlier. He scored a goal and got an assist on the weekend. And his pace just hasn't disappeared. His energy's still there. And I don't see him not doing well, especially with this partnership that he and Alba have created, where they're really meshing well and they've created a really good uh, relationship and bond. And they really know where they're going to be on the field together. So I think I'm ex- I have high hopes for him. Uh, he will hopefully do well. Uh, he's going to have tough customers and Jaden Sancho and potentially Gio Reyna, but he's shown that this season he can handle that and it wouldn't surprise me to see it happen again, but who knows? Gio Reyna could pull something out of the bag where he just goes off, but I'm pessimistic when it comes to that factor. I don't know if either of you are in the same mindset as I am, but it's going to be fun to watch, you know, big game. It's the first really, really big game with a lot of meaning behind it. And I'm going to be interested to see just how the fan buzzes on social media and how the game actually plays out. Let's, uh, let's get some predictions going on this. Oof. Okay. So like we mentioned, I think a couple episodes ago, I am the Dortmund supporter in this little trio we got going on and last time these two teams played I think was early November and Bayern Munich won 4-0 so not a whole lot going for Dortmund and like Connor was mentioning with Alfonso Davies it's cool because a lot of people on Twitter are legitimately and I think it's a pretty legit claim that he is the best left back in the world and he's only 19 so that just is a good he's tearing it up with Bayern Munich so it's really fun to see but I think from the Dortmund supporter, I don't think Dortmund's going to be able to contain him. Like Connor said, he tore it up last time these teams played, um, and he's been tearing it up lately, so I don't think this break has affected him at all. Um, I don't think it's really affected Dortmund that much either. 
uh, two shutout wins against Wolfsburg and Schalke. So that's really good. But this is Bayern Munich they're talking about. Um, but I think Dortmund is going to get through. I think you can only hold Holland for so long. So I'm going to say a 2-1 Bayern Munich win. I think it's going to be a washout because I believe Dortmund are missing their two best DMs uh, in Witzel and, oh, I'm blanking on the other one. But I believe they're missing Witzel, and that's going to be huge for them because they're going to be able to contain the Bayern Munich attack, and that's going to be, I think, a massive issue for them. So I'm going 3-0 Bayern, um, but I think it could be even more if Bayern have been playing like they've been playing because they just haven't shown any signs of weakness, and neither have Dortmund, but they've also not played the best competition. Yeah, I'm with you guys. Uh, Bayern Munich's going to have the win here. Um, I'm going to go, I wanted to say a 4-1 to one Bayern win, um, or a 4 nothing Bayern win, I should say, but I'll go ahead and be nice. I'll give Dortmund a goal. So I think Bayern Munich's going to win 4-1. to one. Uh, The last three games between these teams, uh, Bayern has outscored Dortmund 15-2. to two. So if recent history tells us anything, it's that Dortmund's going to get smacked tomorrow. Hey, look, Dortmund may get some attacking help this summer, so maybe that won't continue in the next season. Who hey, knows? Hey, they're they're attacking. That's not the issue. <laughs> Have you guys seen the recent rumors though around Jonathan David to go to Dortmund? Yeah, really. The, there's a rumor out there that he could potentially be Jaden Sancho's replacement. Huh. Okay. So it could see. be Canadian Derby. We'll call it that. I'm all for it. Big thanks to Connor for keeping up to date with all the Canadian national team transfer news. So really quick, you guys, we're all picking a Bayern Munich win, which is unfortunate for me, but whatever. And like Josh said, four points clear right now. So if Bayern Munich wins this, is it is it over for you guys? You think they're taking on the championship? Yes. I think it's over already, and they haven't even played tomorrow. So I, I yeah. don't <laughs> think it's over just yet. I think... Bayern has to win for it to be over tomorrow because seven points with just five or six games left is a death sentence in Bundesliga. Um, who knows? Maybe they could draw. Maybe it could be like a like a crazy no defense three three draw. That would be very exciting to watch. But I think it would be wishful thinking for Dortmund fans. Sorry, Drew. Oh man, what are you gonna do? But yeah, I think I think I agree with Connor. I think it's already over, even if Dortmund win. Um, but we'll see what happens. So that is the Bundesliga recap and getting ready for tomorrow. A uh, really big game. Brian McDormand, always fun, but especially fun with the title race being pretty close. And, yeah, like Connor said, we're still getting into the meat of the Bundesliga and getting getting caught back up with it. So it's cool that this big game is happening right now. But enough about Germany. Coming back to the United States, and this happened, I think, about last week. The MLS came out with their new youth competition, the MLS Elite Youth Competition, to replace the Development Academy, the DA uh, for U.S. Soccer Federation. And in that competition for MLS, there's going to be 95 teams participating. Okay, there's 30 MLS clubs of the current 26, and the four incoming expansion sides, five USL clubs, and 60 non-professional clubs which they're calling founding members um so guys i don't know how much you've looked into it but what are your initial thoughts after the da closes and then we have this because i'm thinking that it's kind of picking up where the da left off right it's 
almost as if we didn't miss a beat with the development academy uh, closing because of the COVID-19 outbreak. And it feels like we're not missing a whole lot with this. Um, But do you guys think that this youth competition is doing anything that the development academy was not doing before? Or are they the same thing to you? I think it's relatively the same thing. Um, They're both trying to grow the game of soccer. It's just now we have a much larger injection of money with MLS teams being involved because I can't, I don't think you mentioned this, but the, I believe the MLS teams are paying for travel for all the other youth teams. So hopefully that increases competition. That increases the quality of play. Um, who knows if it will, but I think it's a good step after the DA closed. If you want to hear like a month are really in depth, more, uh, I guess, focused conversation about this. We talked about it on our Soccer Academy drama in the U.S. podcast, which was five podcasts ago. Um, so go back and listen to that. Uh, we went pretty in-depth, and we won't go as in-depth in this one, but we have found a bit found out a bit more information. Um, so, yeah, I don't really see a negative in it. I think this has been so far pretty positive given the current situation and who knows what's going to happen josh i know you follow the youth leagues a lot closer than drew and i both do so what are your thoughts on the mls elite youth competition yeah i don't know if it's necessarily better or worse i think at the end of the day the best case scenario is that there's a much more sort of streamlined approach to getting this talent through the MLS clubs because I mean they're obviously like at the top of the food chain um but the the biggest thing that really jumped out at me and I I think one of you mentioned it briefly is the paying to help eliminate financial barriers one of the biggest complaints I see all the time about U.S. soccer especially with the youth is how expensive it is and how there are tons of kids that are missing out on opportunities to develop their talents and game because they just can't afford it so that part really excites me i it's probably not enough and i don't think enough details have been presented to the public yet about what this is going to be and obviously the pandemic is slowing that process down even more than before that being said hopefully hopefully with the financial side of things becoming easier for the the kids participating in this uh, we get more access to the talent that's in North America, specifically the U.S., but we've talked in the past that this could branch out to Canada and Mexico as well. But I really hope from that side of things that this becomes a, a really big benefit for those kids that otherwise wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to participate in something like this. So I think looking at it from from that point of view, this is a really really big positive change and this so far is looking better than the DA. Um, that being said, obviously time is going to tell how efficient this youth competition is. You know, it, it almost seems like there's not even really a name. I don't think there's been like an official, official name released yet. They've just been talking about elite youth competition or elite youth development. I, I don't even remember what it said, but I think time will tell just how successful this is. But I think from an early standpoint, it's it's looking positive and, and possibly better than the DA. 
Yeah, I'm on the same boat as you, Josh. I don't know the whole specifics of the DA. Um, I don't think anyone, like you said, knows the specifics of this youth competition, but it seems that this is doing a much better job of spreading out so you're sure that you're getting much more talent. Um, And like you said, the travel thing is huge because that's a pretty consistent complaint across the board that playing soccer in this country is very expensive. And when you do that, you pass over a lot of really good talent. But what I really like is that although all 30 MLS clubs, the 26 and the four incoming are a part of it, which is awesome. um, I really like how there's other organizations that are not those founding members, those non-professional clubs. And I think that makes it even easier, right? Because speaking for myself with Atlanta United, like an hour and a half away, um, that's still, it's relatively close, but that's still a pretty good trek. But one of the associations, Linear Soccer Association, is like 30 minutes away from me. So that's much easier for people to access to. So that was my biggest takeaway when I was looking at this, were all those non-MLS, non-USL organizations, those founding members that seem like they're creating more opportunities for people um, to play soccer and to grab more talent. So I was really excited about that, excited to see much more local clubs getting into it rather than just big-time city, MLS, USL clubs getting into it. So I think I'm with you, Josh. I think right now it's looking better than the Development Academy, um, and it's really encouraging that it feels like right when the Development Academy ended, we're having this come in and replace it so it doesn't feel like we skipped a beat at all and if anything it seems like we've improved in it so i'm really excited about it um i think it's going to do a much better job of capturing talent across the board um definitely knocking out the financial barriers helping pay for travel is going to be huge and how the multitude of organizations that are in this is going to help as well Yeah, ultimately, we just hope that this turns into something where we see more MLS talent uh, come from the youth academies, and it improves the quality of play, and it potentially could happen this summer with the new Orlando tournament that's been sort of announced, leaked, with MLS getting pissed at the Athletic because (laughs) too much was getting leaked, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but yeah, with the way that this tournament looks like it could be set up you're probably going to need a lot of players and teams with good youth academies and with good youth talent will probably be in a better position than teams that maybe buy more talent than other clubs uh but yeah the tournament this summer has been announced it was sort of leaked by the athletic and by sort of leaked i mean completely leaked uh (laughs) teams will be broken into four groups uh with seattle lafc Atlanta and Orlando in different groups as those would be the head or top of each group. I believe Toronto FC could potentially have been ahead of one of the groups. I think it instead of Atlanta, if they ended up getting in drawn into Orlando's group. Um, but that still needs to be finalized. Uh, it would all be done randomly with, I guess, as I just mentioned, three groups of six uh, and one group of eight in the East sort of e- to even everything out because Obviously, the West has less teams in the East, and well, Nashville yeah. is is moving over from the West to the East. Actually, so they were thirteen and thirteen. So, for the purpose of this tournament, they're moving Nashville over to the East temporarily. I'm mistaken then. Uh, yeah, so I guess they're evening out by putting them in the East for <laughs> reasons remain to be seen. But I won't complain. Uh, 
hopefully Toronto FC does well against Nashville. Who knows? But yeah, each team would play five games apiece with no interconference matches. So they just play their group and the top two in each group would advance to the knockout tournament, which I assume will just be called the playoffs because it's basically just the playoffs. What are your guys' general thoughts on that mess of a structure? My first, well, my first complaint, major only play. Uh, I'll let you say your thing, Drew. Why isn't Montreal the the fourth group? Why aren't they at the top of the fourth group? Right. I think the the reasoning behind picking LAFC was they won the Sporter Shield and then Seattle won MLS Cup and then uh, Atlanta won the U.S. Open Cup. So I I think Montreal should be the other top seed because they won the Canadian Championship. If it's worthy enough to get you a CCL spot, I I know you probably don't agree from because I will of where not you take are. this slander. But but I mean you, hey you were the one who said they've got to revise the way they they do the CCL stuff. But as it stands right now, if you win the Canadian Championship, you get that spot. So I think they should be given the top seed. I don't think Orlando should be a top seed in anything. They're they don't they're not deserving of it. So that's just my two cents. What were you gonna well, say, Drew? I think, or go ahead, uh, go ahead Drew, sorry. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, so um I I'm on the same boat. This structure I understand the supporter shield, US Open Cup, um who else yeah, Seattle, uh to MLS Cup champions, that makes sense. But the Orlando thing just is weird. I don't understand why they would be a top seed. But my idea, all right, check this out. I took the liberty of making my own idea and my my thought behind my madness was you go to last year's supporters shield standings right you get the top four in those standings which would be lafc nycfc atlanta and seattle so those were the top four and then those would be it differently seated into each group and then from there you would just go bananas and i don't enjoy this randomized drawing for seating i think that's not a good way of determining who's the best of the best um because i don't know if connor said this or not but these points will count towards these points will count towards the regular season and assuming that teams get to play in their home stadiums later this year so i think the random drawing thing is just bananas i don't think that's the best way to determine it but what's cool about this idea is if you go by last year's supporters shield standings, right? You're still getting some pretty incredible matchups. So in group one with LAFC, they would have the Galaxy in their group. So there's kind of that rivalry, right? You would have Portland and Vancouver in group two. You'd have Atlanta, Orlando in group three, and you'd have Seattle, Toronto in group four. So my idea is you go by last year's shield standings. Um, you get the top four as the one seeds, for lack of a better term, in their group. And from there, you just give the five seed, the fifth team in that fourth group, and et cetera, et cetera, until you finish the league. Um, and just throw Miami and Nashville into a new group because obviously they weren't there last year. So I think we're kind of on the same page, Josh, that the Orlando getting in, getting that one seed with lack of a better word, I guess you can't really call them a one seed because it's Orlando City. Um, It's just weird. I don't, they haven't earned anything. They just happen to be hosting this tournament. But I do think you make a better point that if CONCACAF Champions League, right, values the Canadian champion, then why is this tournament not valuing it? Um, you You have a team in Montreal that has a legitimate 
claim to that top spot in their group and you're giving it to a team that didn't make the playoffs that has no reason to be a one C just because they're hosting it. So that's my initial problem with the structure is the random drawing groups. I think that's just ridiculous. You're going to get one group that's fully loaded with top level teams where you could have one group that's filled with FC Cincinnati and the Vancouver Whitecaps, right? And that's just not the best way to even out the league. So my initial thoughts are drop Orlando and one thing cut I, out the Sorry before drawing. you say your thing, Connor. One thing I do want to say that I like from this plan is is that they're going to take those points from the quote-unquote regular season of this tournament and apply them to later on. I think that's a good idea. I think it's smart to start planning for how you will carry out the rest of the season instead of just compressing an entire season into one tournament. So I do like that aspect of it. Um, Connor, what were you going to say? All right. I'm not taking the slander. Uh, first of all, I think Orlando was given this top seed because they are hosting this tournament and that will probably be a financial burden. So I guess it's just fair to say that they, they put themselves out there. They're willing to take the risk involved with it. And they just gave them home field advantage. I don't know why they gave them the first seed, but that's why it is. Well, how are you going to take though? Montreal who had no affiliation with MLS, MLS play, or even made the playoffs, how are you going to give them a number one seed just because they made Champions League and won a single game, or I guess two games, against Toronto FC when Toronto FC went to MLS Cup final? Like, you're taking a team that was one of the best in the league last year and you're discrediting what they did because they lost two games in the middle of a playoff push against a team that was there but wasn't really there. I think that's sort of a flawed idea. Uh, But I do think that they do need the rivals and they need the rivalries, even if it may not create as much of a fan atmosphere at the stadiums. I think it's important for the fans at home. But overall, I do like the system. I think it's creative. I think it could be really entertaining because it means that us fans and we'll be able to see teams that don't necessarily play each other actually play each other like we may get to see a Toronto Nashville game when last season or I guess this season we may not have been able to see it if they see it in just the Western Conference I think it create a lot more different rivalries and you're true your idea to put Seattle and Toronto in the same conference is terrible because they have to end up in the final it's the only time they're allowed to play. It's, de- it's destiny. Destiny. No, this That's is the like the only time they're allowed thing. to play. This so, is so I no. just want to throw one <laughs> thing out there. Uh, we've made a slight mistake. Um, so we mentioned earlier the, the Athletic has been breaking pretty much all this news, which is hilariously awesome. Um, that being said, they actually corrected one of their original posts, and it actually pertains to the seating that we're talking about. So... The initial report said that the four groups would be headed up by Orlando, Atlanta, LAFC, Seattle. Uh, that is technically true. However, a new document that they obtained said that the 2019 MLS Cup playoff semifinalists would be seated in the top position of each group, with the exception of whichever group Orlando is hosting. So that means Toronto could potentially be one of the one seeds 
quote unquote. So Orlando is for sure one of the four, but it's a toss up between the other three groups, which will be the semifinalists. So that means uh, apparently it's saying position two in Orlando's group, the second seed would go to either Atlanta or Toronto pending a random draw. So Toronto may just end up being a one seed. Now to go back to, I think what you were saying, Drew, about keeping rivalries intact. I think that's a smart thing. I think you could take it a step further and you could put Seattle in its own um, division, I'll call it. And in that division, it would be the Cascadia teams. So it'd be Seattle, Portland, Vancouver. But then you'd also throw in like the Rocky Mountain teams and I, maybe San Jose because they're Northern California. That's a group. You could have like a Southwest group that has LAFC, LA Galaxy, um, Dallas, Houston. Oh, maybe Minnesota can go in that first group I was talking about. That way you can keep San Jose in the other group. Then you can have Atlanta and Orlando and Nashville in a group together and you can have a Northeast with Montreal and Toronto and the New York teams and DC, Philadelphia. I think that would be a smart way to go about it. Like you said, Drew, you get all these rivalry matches, you get all these teams that normally would be in close geometric proximity. And that way the fans at home have that added motivation to watch these games, to tune in to once again, get money back to this league so that it can not suffer too many financial losses. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how um, they group the... Well, it's randomly, so they really don't have any say in it. But, yeah, I really do like that idea, Josh, about how you kind of try and keep these rivalries as intact as you can, even through this crapshoot that's going to be this tournament. But what I really do like um, is that there will be no interconference matchups. So you're not going to have teams from the east playing teams from the west i think in this limited structure this limited tournament um every game is so valuable yeah they're only playing five games apiece so you have a really short amount of time to figure out who's the best in that group and to me the best way of determining who the best team is is by playing each other so that i think was probably my favorite part about it um was the no interconference things i think we talked about that a little bit last episode they must have listened Um, to our podcast yeah, shout out to Pablo um, for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it, buddy. Um, but I want to just really quick before, because we're kind of before we wrap this up. Josh, you mentioned that these games matter, assuming that these teams get to play in their home markets later this year. My question is, what happens if they don't get to play in their home markets later this year? What happens to these points? Do they become moot, or what happens if they don't get to play in their markets? I, I think in a worst case scenario, like, like let's say they finish this tournament in Orlando in June or it finishes in July, I think, whatever it is, and they're like, let's say a second wave, God forbid, comes through the United States and Canada and messes this all up and puts things on hold again, and then they, I think the the closest thing would to have be to have another tournament, and then you just roll over the points. And then I guess you'd have like another playoffs. I don't know. I guess it's t- kind of technically like the Apertura and Clausura that Liga MX does. Like I, I guess that'd be the only way around that. Like I said, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully they will be able to come to their home markets, like toward like after the tournament concludes or whatever. But um, 
I, I guess that's probably the best way to do it is to just roll over the points. If not, like you were saying, Drew, I guess just to void the points since they wouldn't be able to go towards their original intention. So I, I guess that's the best solution. Yeah, that was my biggest... When I saw that in the athletic story, that was the biggest eyebrow raiser because I don't know what's going to happen. Like you said, God forbid, the second wave happens. But there are those concerns. So it's going to be interesting. Like, yeah, that's a good idea about just having another turn and just keep doing this until everything calms down. But it's cool. Uh, MLS is working really hard not to get back. And this idea is not yet finalized or completed by any means. Um, It's just the most recent plan that the athletic obtained and like connor said not without some controversy mls wasn't the biggest fan of this information getting leaked so that's funny and we like to be on the other side of that so that's cool but yeah this isn't finalized a lot of players are still concerned um expressing their displeasure with the idea so it's gonna be cool hey so before before we wrap things up a question for either of you i want to know about so last week when we talked about what this plan could look like. This was before all these details came to light. Um, do you guys... We, we brought up a lot of the major concerns, right? And we talked a lot about how the players were concerned with how things were being handled. Based on these reports and these documents that have sort of been leaked, it seems like MLS is really doing their homework. It seems like they're really looking into how to handle the people that would congregate in Orlando, how they'd handle testing and all that. Do you guys feel better about this plan a week later now that all this information has come to light? Um, I, I mean, yeah, like MLS, like you said, Josh, it seemed like they had a lot of bar- um, not barriers, but precautions that they are going to go through to because like we said, the last thing you want is for a player to contract it and you're all stuck in Orlando. So that's a whole new problem in itself. But I guess I do feel better just because reading the precautions and what MLS, this measures they will would have taken had this happened tomorrow or whatever, that does make me feel a little better about it. Um, but there's still a lot of concerns because there is one thing in the athletic story about Carlos Vela's wife um, and his family is expecting a child pretty soon. Um, so there's a lot of question about that. I mean, he's one of the best players in MLS, if not the best. And, I mean, that's a pretty big deal for him. So you have questions about these players' family health and if they can get to their family. So that issue, I think, is still concerning to me just because um, it was brought to light because such a high-profile player like Carlos Vela is in a really um, interesting situation. So that is only my only concern, how these guys are going to be able to get access to their families if they need that access like Vela and there's probably other players that also need access to their families. So that's my only bug in the plan still about how these guys can get out of Orlando if they do need to get out of Orlando for any reason. What about you, Connor? You feel better about this or sort of the same, worse? Well, there are still a lot of questions that need answering. I think that's first and foremost. Uh, I think they're going in the right direction because it does look like they're actually doing their homework and looking at what could work and what could be most successful. One of the theories I had is why can't players bring their families with them? Uh, If you already are renting out like 40 hotels, what's the difference between having a player just stay in a hotel room on his own? Why can't he just bring his family? And that might mitigate some of the issues that they have of being away from their families. That would require those families to be self-isolated, but... I think it could be a happy middle ground. 
I think it's going. I think they're going in the right direction, but there are still a ton of answers that need to come from the league. Uh, it was pointed out in that athletic article on Don Garber getting mad at employees about leaking information, which was leaked, that the MLS players didn't find out information about certain things before the media did, which I think is frankly embarrassing for the league and should never happen. Um, So I think that's one of the biggest issues. They got to figure out that communication link because clearly it's been lackluster. And if you want to be taken seriously and if you want this to work, it needs to be a joint effort. And up until now, I'm not 100% certain that this has been totally joint effort. I feel like it's been the league sort of doing a lot of research and keeping the players in the dark a little. And that needs to change if we actually want to get back to games, in my opinion. Hey, shout out to whoever is uh, leaking that information to The Athletic. You're doing God's work. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> we appreciate you so much, whoever you are. Hopefully listen to this podcast, but you're our favorite person. But, yeah, so it's going to be cool to see what MLS does. A lot of questions that still need to be answered, and who knows, maybe more information that will be leaked. Um, but, yeah, that is all we got for you guys. Um, pretty hefty episode with a lot of content but thanks guys so much for listening um like always please feel free to visit the website mlsmultiplex.com uh even through this break and through soccer possibly coming back the writers have been doing really good stuff and still are doing really good stuff to keep the website updated um provide some good content during this crazy time um, and feel free to reach out to us on social media. Give us your hot takes about anything MLS, NWSL, U.S. soccer related. Uh, you can find Connor at CWG Somerville, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, um, and MLS Multiplex at MLS Multiplex. So be sure to hit us up on Twitter. Um, get even some more content through our wonderful tweets. And like we talked about a little at the beginning of this episode, um, next week we will be talking a lot more about the NWSL's plan to come back. Um, that information just came out the this afternoon while we were recording this, so we weren't able to get a whole lot on there. Um, but next week be sure to listen in, and we will get your NWSL fix and see what we think about that league's returning um, and see what they can do to bring women's soccer back to the States. So thanks again so much for listening and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors written work at MLSMultiplex.com.